0: the unknown. Seven counties of Oklahoma
1: because reports in them 66 counties.
0: Giant Indians call maps of Mister, meeting Giant monster. These are some of the best casts over us that I've seen in a very, very long
1: time. North Canadian River Project uh, we basically focus our uh, investigations on the North Canadian River or Central Oklahoma
0: And welcome back to Squatch Ranger Files, episode 49. We do have a guest today, and I will interview our guest. His name is Evans Bailey. I'm going to bring him on in a few short moments. But first, just a few announcements. Yes, every once in a while, we do bring on guest speakers, and and we talk Bigfoot topics and what's going on in the Bigfoot world, etc. And uh, today, so I'm not reading the reports today. But we will hear from Evans Bailey, so I'm very excited for him to join us today, and he's going to tell more about himself. Real quick, just a couple of announcements. We've expanded the show to the Anchor platform, and we are so excited to be here. Anchor helps the show reach Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many more. We hope to grow our audience and are able to continue to bring you the latest Bigfoot reports from around the country. If you are a new listener to the show, welcome. You are now an official Squatch Ranger. Your duties include have an open mind, ask questions, trust but confirm, and always seek the truth. Thanks for joining the show. So just real quick before we bring on the guest, Evans Bailey, I would like to just remind you guys that uh, we will have another Squatch Ranger Files episode 50 coming up. And on that episode, I am going to read some Bigfoot reports that I've been collecting from some different Bigfoot Facebook groups on Facebook. And so I am a member of several different groups on Facebook. And so every once in a while, someone will share their encounter story. And I've been collecting a few, and I want to read those to you guys, the listeners. So that is coming up on an upcoming episode. All right, no further delay. Let's bring on our guest. And we have Evans Bailey joining us now, everybody. He is a fellow researcher, a friend. He's a member of the North Canadian River Project and the Native Oklahoma Bigfoot Research Organization. Evans, how are you doing today?
1: Doing great, Ryan. Thanks.
0: Thank you for coming on the show and taking some time out of your day to speak with us and speak with the listeners. Go ahead and uh, let you introduce yourself to the listeners. And this can be as long or short as you want. Kind of give a little bit of background about yourself, maybe, you know, what you specialize in uh, growing up, how'd you get into Bigfoot, anything you want.
1: Okay, thanks. Um, I am a, a native Oklahoman. Um uh, born and raised in southeastern Oklahoma. Uh, went all through school uh, here in the state, um, through uh, through college and that sort of thing. Um, was always interested in uh, biology, the natural sciences, the outdoors. Uh, loved to camp, fish, hunt, hike, um, all those types of outdoor things. Um uh, have uh, worked in the natural resources field, the environmental field, uh, throughout my entire career. Um, I've worked as a uh, as a park ranger, park naturalist, park manager, environmental programs manager, um, for uh, over over uh, 25 years now in the state, um, and uh, you know, I consider myself familiar with all of the native types of plants and animals and um, but this this one critter, uh, Bigfoot, uh, has me stumped and uh, trying to figure out where it fits into things, uh, having had my own encounter experiences, um, just trying to, to figure this one out. Um, it's been a, an interest and a passion since I was a young person and first heard about it uh, growing up in southeast Oklahoma. Um, we, I'd heard stories family and friends about these things. There were stories about the Lake Eufaula monster, um, Momo the Missouri monster. And of course, uh, whenever I was um, a young person in high school, then the, the reports of the Boggy Creek monster out of Falk, Arkansas were uh, uh, very uh, popular in the news then. And uh, even some friends of, uh, of mine, uh, we took a spring break and drove down to Falk, Arkansas, and went to explore the uh, Boggy Creek bottoms and um, scared ourselves silly. And so uh, uh, it's just been a lifelong interest in, in uh, hearing stories uh, from all over Oklahoma and all over the region. Uh, it just continues to pique my interest. And so that's uh, how I kind of got into this and why I continue to have an uh, interest in it and participate in research um, up until now
0: i love the the strengths and the experience that you bring to the north canadian river project i love the fact that you are a park ranger i love that that you said you know you know all the all the native plants and animals of the state i I just love that you bring that to our group and it's it's a huge strength i don't want to talk about the north canadian river project and get into that real quick for our listeners or who is the North Canadian River Project? Why the name North Canadian River Project? What's that all about?
1: Well, uh, it's uh, it's, a, it's a, primarily focuses on the North Canadian River, uh, that river corridor, that area, that uh, the North Canadian River is uh, one of the longest river systems in Oklahoma, and it kind of bisects the state uh, northwest to southeast. Uh, begins up around uh, uh, Boiling Springs, well, actually up around Woodward, and then flows uh, southeast uh, through the central part of the state and then down into the southeast part of the state and uh, joins the Canadian River at Lake Eufaula over in McIntosh County. So it runs for a few hundred miles. Um, But uh, uh, how I got involved in the North Canadian River Project was – I had uh, moved to central Oklahoma, was still interested in the stories uh, uh, about Bigfoot that were coming out of central Oklahoma area around Stinchcom Wildlife Refuge and around El Reno, Oklahoma. And I heard uh, a person speaking on a national Bigfoot uh, online program, and he said he was from El Reno, Oklahoma, had grown up there and had heard all the stories and had some eyewitness. Uh, encounters himself and uh, so I uh, contacted him and, uh, and then I got involved. He had just started to put the group together. Uh, this was back in about 2014, um, Kurt Stanley from over in the El Reno area and so we just primarily focused our research, air, uh, research efforts along that North Canadian River uh, corridor from about uh, Calumet and El Reno on over to stenchcomb refuge Uh, that's kind of historically where we've uh, done a lot of our research
0: so i want to talk about some some hot spots around central oklahoma do you know of any hot spots you've mentioned the stenchcomb a couple of times there there and maybe anywhere else is there any hot spots in central oklahoma
1: Well, of course, primarily um, the uh, reports and stories we've heard along the river there, over around the uh, Canadian County area, um, excuse me, particularly around uh, the El Reno area and out near the Concho Casino area, uh, north of El Reno, Uh, you know, those areas. uh, But I've also heard uh, lots of stories and reports from uh, the area around uh, oh, uh, over near uh, Binger and those areas as it gets down toward Anadarko and along the Washita River. So it seems to be, um, you know, a lot of these reports come from river bottom areas where, of course, you know, in western Oklahoma, the habitat's going to be thicker along the river bottoms and uh, where these sightings uh, tend to occur. Uh, A lot of them are also uh, in areas associated with native tribal lands, Um, I think because of the uh, remoteness of the area and uh, the uh, the amount of habitat, uh, water, cover, and food available in those areas. So um, uh, yeah, uh, there's also been reports from uh, the eastern part of Oklahoma County uh, over in the uh, like Choctaw, Hara. Uh, in those areas. And we have some members of our NCRP group that uh, come from those areas and uh, they have actually found some evidence uh, along some creeks that lead into the river. And one of our future goals is to get over and research those areas in the eastern part of uh, the Oklahoma City area uh, and Oklahoma County area. We've kind of focused because of familiarity, um, we focused on the western side of uh of Oklahoma City and the northwest side um, but we would like to uh, expand our efforts over to uh the eastern side too and start to to branch out that way
0: very good very good yes i I think that's a great idea um you mentioned you know you're you're investigating familiar places and now you're wanting to get into maybe unfamiliar territory. And I think that's a good thing to expand and, and to do that kind of thing. So I, I wish you guys luck uh, when you do do that. Now I don't want to get you, I don't want you to get away from me on this show and not talk about your own personal class, a daytime sighting. So for the listeners, um, Evans and I, we, We've gone down to Southeast Oklahoma before together, and there's a video on my YouTube channel, Squatch Ranger. It's titled NOBRO Members Bigfoot Sighting Report, and this video is about Evans and his Class A daytime sighting. I want you to walk the listeners through your daytime sighting and how it happened and everything that went down.
1: Okay. Well, um, this was back in about – also around you know, 2014, um, the the TV show that everybody loves to hate, uh, Finding Bigfoot, had actually come to the town where I live here in Oklahoma, uh, Yukon, Oklahoma, and uh, had ha- held a town hall. Uh, they were focusing on the central Oklahoma area. In fact, they were did some film footage out in the um, Stinchcombe Refuge and, and other places around central Oklahoma. Just by pure chance, uh, my daughter and I heard that they were going to be having a town hall there in Yukon um, at the Express Ranch barn, and we uh, went out there, went out there early, and we were able to get seats in the uh, town hall meeting itself, and it was just fascinating hearing all the stories, all the eyewitness stories from local residents that really got me fired up. Um, then uh, not too long after that, I attended the, for the first time, uh, my brother and I attended the Honabe Bigfoot Conference down in southeastern Oklahoma. And you got to listen to all the fantastic speakers and uh, just, you know, uh, network with Bigfoot researchers from all over this region. And of course, that got us really excited. And then we found out that that the conference offered some expedition weekends uh, during the year. And so we decided we would come back the following spring and go on an expedition. Um, It was scheduled for May and then it got rained out, flooded out. We had severe rains and flooding. And so it was pushed back till the end of June. So we went on that and, you know, my brother and I were, expecting we thought well if we hear some wood knocks you know that sort of thing that would be fantastic but when we went out in the evenings and uh, went to these these spots um from the get-go things were going crazy and there were just sounds and noises from everywhere uh that were just blowing our minds um and it was it was just amazing to us uh but the uh but on that Saturday night, the Friday night that we went out, uh, this was on a weekend expedition, the Friday night we went out and got cut short because of, uh, thunderstorms, big line of thunderstorms rolled in. So we were kind of disappointed with that, but we had just before the thunderstorms, we had, uh, seen things moving through the woods. We had, uh, with electronics that failed to work, failed in the field and then worked fine later. So just all kinds of freaky stuff was happening that, you know, got us excited. Um, so anyway, the, the Saturday, in fact, uh, after the storms, uh, we kind of did some squatching around the, the camp where we were staying there, had some rocks thrown at us. And so, you know, everybody was pretty excited. Um, so anyway, we, we rested the next day, but in the afternoon, my brother and I, we went to uh, that spot that where he'd gone on Friday night. Uh, we went during the daytime and uh, began to, we parked at the uh, entrance to this uh, wildlife management area. Uh, we began to walk down this road. Of course, this is June, pretty warm, uh, but there wasn't anybody else around. It's not hunting season, so there's really no reason for anybody else to be out there. Uh, didn't see any other vehicles. We're walking down this road, and, and just about every, every few hundred yards as we walked down this road, just loud tree knocks coming from the woods. Uh, and then we found uh, a footprint that we took a picture of. Uh, at a little uh, low water crossing, there was a footprint in the mud. There, we found some stick structures. We found some uh, tree breaks, and uh, so we we were just fascinated um, from the very moment we parked. We, when we were getting out of the car. Uh, we heard two rock clacks not far from us, right inside the entrance to the area. So that that really got our attention real quick. Loud something you know had slapped two rocks together real fast and really loud so you know we were we were pretty excited so we're looking forward to the saturday night trip the saturday night expedition uh we went uh up along a mountain ridge down the the Kaimishi mountains um um, set up on top of a ridge uh kind of at the intersection of two logging roads and from the very moment we got there when we're getting out of the truck we're unloading our our gear, uh, small rocks start flying in. Um, I was next to a young lady that was unloading her gear and a rock hit right between our feet, ricocheted off the road there. And she said, did you see that? And I said, yes, I did. But I thought, well, maybe somebody kicked up a rock, you know, that sort of thing. But from the very get go, there was stuff going on shadows moving in the forest. Um, Like I said, again, noises, chattering, whispering uh what our group leader had us do was just kind of sit in a circle uh with our backs to each other, watching different areas and listening. Uh, not not out there making whoops or tree knocks, or just listening. It was just a listening post. Uh and from, from all different directions, r- little rocks were coming flying in the entire time. Uh, there was chattering in the woods, whispering, shadows moving. Um something was beating the heck out of a rock. We were on top of this ridge, and there were creeks on either side at the bottom. And on the north side, uh, down in that creek bottom, something was just whacking the heck out of a rock uh, with a stick. Uh, you know, just things like that the whole time. Um, as the evening wore on and it began to get dark, because we, we got out there well before twilight, uh, you know, um, Things are just happening one right after the other. Um, at one point, I was wearing uh, the uh, parabolic microphone, I was wearing the headphones and, and walking up and down the road. Uh, our leader had said he'd heard some sounds down on this side, so go check that side out. I was walking down the road with the parabolic mic pointed toward the woods, and all of a sudden, this burst of, of, of like huge static just just hit the headphones and, and really hurt my ears and um, from that point on it just seemed like uh, this sense of dread that I I felt like if if we don't if we don't leave this area something bad's gonna happen it just it's like like this depression uh, so I wasn't sure what was going on there but uh, I it just really bothered me worried me um, so Uh, You know, since then, people have said, well, you were zapped or whatever uh, through infrasound. I I don't know about that possible, but I do know that uh, I got a feeling of dread after that happened. Uh, But anyway, I came back. My brother and I sat down. We were were watching this one area of the logging road, the trail, the road that we had come in on, which was just a little two-track dirt road, basically where the logging trucks moved up and down. and uh, we were just watching the edges because the, the forest came right up to the side of the road on either side. There's thick, thick pine tree and, and hardwoods, hickories and oaks and that sort of thing. And it was, uh, the sun was, had already gone behind the mountain, but it was still plenty of daylight. And I thought I saw uh, from the north side, north edge of the road uh, about, I was about 75 or 80 yards down where this little low water crossing was on the road there. I thought I saw a dark head or shape peek out. And I nudged my brother with my elbow and I said, Did you see that? And he said, Yep. And then at that moment, the thing just stepped across the road. I mean, one, two, one step to the middle, one step to the side. And it was across the road. It was huge, it was black. Uh, all we got was like a side profile look. Uh, I remember it had the cone-shaped head, uh, but it was just black, just flowing hair, um, and just that quick, it was gone. And we looked at each other at the same time, and we were just stumbling. Did you see what? what? And then we started yelling for the group leader. And he's like, what, what's happening? We said, he, he just stepped across. He just stepped across right down there. Uh, and he said, where? I said, at, at the road cross, at the low water crossing. And, uh, you know, so it was just a few seconds or less than a second. But, but he stepped across. He was gone. And, uh, uh, and, and then we were just, our minds were just blown. Uh, uh, we just couldn't, couldn't you know, the whole time my brother and I are are talking amongst ourselves saying, okay, all this stuff that's going on, how how could this be hoaxed? How could this, because just so much was going on. It was just blowing our minds. Like, how how could this be happening? Um, But as the, as the, as it got dark, then the rocks got larger um, that were flying in. And uh, at one point, Uh, One of the people that was with us, there was a rock flew in about the size of uh, a baseball, and it hit right between our chairs. The rocks never hit anyone. They never hit a person's, but you could see them, and we we could look up at the sky, and you could see rocks silhouetted against the skyline as they would come arching over from the woods from different directions and land next to us or in the middle of us or whatever. Uh, But one of the guys— was getting frustrated, and so he stood up, he picked up the rock, and he threw it back the direction that it came from. And this was probably close close to midnight, uh, and, and screamed, uh, just for some reason he screamed when he threw the rock back. I don't know why, out of frustration or, I don't know, being macho or what. But once he did that, then the whole atmosphere changed. And all of a sudden, it was like uh, they were agit—they were really agitated that we were there. I think what happened was when we arrived, we arrived about 7 p.m. that evening. When we came down the road, I think we split the group, or the group was on either side down in the creek bottoms. There were some over on the north, some over on the south side. And, and they were split up, and they wanted to get back together. And we were preventing that we were in the way. And I think they were wanting to move on together and they wanted us gone so they could get back together. It was a family troop or a clan or something like that. So when he threw the rock back and screamed, then something down in that South Creek bottom let out a roar. And I had never heard anything. You know, I, I thought I was familiar with all the sounds that critters would make in the woods in Oklahoma. I'd never heard a sound like that and it just reverberated through the woods, it reverberated through you, just rattled you. And you could tell it was was making its way toward our group. And I stood up, I folded up my chair, we had lawn chairs. My brother stood up, folded up his chair, and I said to the leader there, I said, I do not want to meet what is making that sound. And then it screamed again, and you could tell it was coming up that mountain. And uh, that's when we, that's when uh, the leader said, I-, I think we've worn out our welcome here. I think we need to leave. And then we packed up and left. And so that was quite a night. My brother and I stayed up all night talking about it and how in the world what just happened here and uh, just trying to process all that. Um, so, anyway, that, that was. That was my first encounter, and uh, uh, you know, just just still amazes me to that day. And uh, the I was pretty shook up. Uh, the trip leader would tell you I was very shook up, even more than my brother. And um, he still teases me about that today.
0: That's an amazing, amazing encounter story. Uh, I want to back up real quick. Uh, at one point, you said something hitting a rock. Uh, very violently or something i just want to ask you like is that any of is that some kind of familiar animal behavior that you're aware of i mean the just the behavior of the screaming and the the whole that whole experience is that any type of known animal behavior that you can think of
1: not that i'm aware of I, i don't think even you know how would bears grip a stick and beat it again but you could tell it was just whacking the heck out of a rock down that creek bottom i don't know if it was agitated or if it was uh trying to catch something uh for food or i I, but no i don't know of any native wildlife that would or could do anything like that
0: yeah right i i was just wanting to get your take on that yeah that's so interesting i i just want to thank you for sharing that encounter with all of us and once again for the listeners I just want to mention that we went back to that location years later. I went with Evans and we filmed around that area where he had the sighting of the creature and it is on YouTube. It's called N-O-B-R-O members Bigfoot sighting report. It's on my YouTube channel called Squatch Ranger. If you want to see the, the area and we even kind of go down the road and we try to find the exact spot where the creature crossed and we found some, some good uh side trails that that it could have crossed um so it's it's an interesting video i want you guys to go check that out uh so moving on here evans um has any other members ever experienced any other type of bigfoot activity worth mentioning like encounters that have convinced your group ncrp it was sasquatch uh
1: kurt stanley had some personal encounters uh whenever he was uh, growing up and uh and even up until a few years ago around the El Reno area. So that's how he got uh, involved in this. And then that's how, that's what uh, caused him to want to start the group and uh, find some other, you know, uh, people that were interested from that central Oklahoma area.
0: What kind of strategies or techniques does the NCRP use in the field to research Bigfoot?
1: Well, um, we're, primarily interested in that river corridor. That's where the greatest amount of undisturbed habitat might be. The you know the thickest woods are are just right along the river. So we focus along that river river bottom. Uh, one of the first things we usually do in an area is to check out the sandbars in the river uh, to look for footprints and other types of evidence. Uh, but you know we we probably utilize a lot of the same uh, tools and techniques that others do uh, putting out the recorder devices utilizing uh, the uh, bait stations um, then uh, of course use you, you know during the during the uh, dark hours you know we will use FLIR night vision you know, things like that uh, so it's mostly the the basic techniques. Uh, We don't really do a whole lot of calls and, uh, you know, things like that Wood knocks because uh, you know, my experience has been, if you, if you try to chase them or fool them or try to fake them out or something like that, or sometimes you're doing calls and knocks, it it agitates them. Uh, We would rather that they be curious. We'd rather set up an area and just listen and watch uh, and hopefully that their curiosity show that, try to show that we're not a threat, that their curiosity would bring them in close enough uh, for us to observe them uh, or them to observe us, them not to be uh, frightened or intimidated out of an area.
0: Talk about your findings in Stinchcomb Wildlife Refuge from the past few years. I know you've kind of started a tradition I think it's around President's Day or something. You go out to Stinchcomb, no matter how cold it is, and you, you know, you hike through and you look for tracks and signs and all that, stick structures. Talk about, um, you know, your findings in Stinchcomb Wildlife Refuge in the past few years.
1: On the far northwest edge of the city, it's where the North Canadian River comes into Lake Overholster, which is a public water supply lake for Oklahoma City. And of course, during the warm season, it's really busy. There's lots of trails, um, so there are a lot of folks out, you know, hiking, walking their dogs, uh, mountain biking, that sort of thing. Um, it's it's all strictly uh, foot traffic out there. Uh, there's no vehicles allowed inside the refuge. There's one parking area over on the uh, east side, but other than that um you know it's it's gated and locked and there is a fire road fire break road uh that runs along the perimeter completely around the refuge the refuge is about a thousand acres and the north canadian river splits it in two uh, but there's a, a a road an old dirt road around the, the edge that's for you a know, fire break or emergency access for emergency vehicles that sort of thing and um uh, that's primarily where people, where you see people, during the warmer parts. There's some, there's a few trails right along the edge of the river, at the beginning as you enter the refuge. But then, uh, those, uh, those kind of peter uh, out once it gets to this swampy area, and, uh, and so, the, um, so a lot of the usage of the r- refuge by the public is right there, fairly close to the entrance. But during the warmer parts of the year, there's a lot of usage out there. There are, and there are, it's becoming more popular for canoers and kayakers to go up the river. So you see those going by. Uh, but during the warm parts of the year, that place is, is overgrown with poison ivy, and uh, and briar patches, and um, and then, of course, it's very thick, very thick river bottom area. Uh, there's lots of ticks, snakes. You know all kinds of things like that. So, I I because of the usage of the public, and because of the um, you know just the area is so thick and so green during the summer, you you can't hardly see through it. So it's very difficult to if you it'd be very difficult to see anything moving through the woods. What I like to do is wait till the really the most bitter part of the winter time. When there's no tra- you know, no no human traffic out there, very few visitors, and uh, the leaves are down, so you can see a long ways through the woods there, um, uh, and then you don't have to worry about snakes, ticks, poison ivy, the heat, you know, it's just much more comfortable. So um, that one particular time you're talking about, it was on President's Day in February. I was supposed to do something else that day that got canceled. I thought, you know what, I'll just run out to Stinchcomb right quick and look around, um, spend the day on the trail out there, and and uh, and so, you know, I I didn't see anybody else. Uh, it was, gosh, it was like 26 degrees when I got there that morning, uh, but there was no wind; it was very still. Once I got back in the woods and everything, you know, it was fine, and the day warmed up uh, into the into the 30s, uh, so it was no problem. Um, but once I got, you know, pretty far past the entrance and started looking around, I was really starting to see things that looked out of place. And so, um, you know, again, I checked the sandbars thinking that if I find bare footprints, you know, who's going to, you know, there's still ice around the edge of the river, who's going to be out here walking around barefoot so I did find some footprints uh, as documented in, in the, the photos that I sent you. And, and when you did the, the program on that, I think that was in 2018. Um, I, I found some stick structures. I found, you know, just, And then on the way back in the afternoon, when I made my way around uh, that east side, uh, it was easier to cut through the woods and then find the uh, fire break road the perimeter road and just walk back to my car. You know, it's much quicker that way. So I come out of the woods and I start down the road uh, back toward the parking area, which was still probably good mile and a half or maybe two uh, back to the parking lot. But I find a line of footprints, not in the middle of the road, but actually in the ditch There's a little depression along the side of the road next to the woods. I, I see where it comes out of the woods, goes, runs about 20 yards, 25 yards, goes back into the woods, not anywhere near a established trail, just out of the woods, back into the woods. And they're single footprints in a line, almost a straight line, about know, six feet apart. They're deep. They're two, three inches. It, it had been wet. Of course, it, it had frozen. So the ground was frozen. I couldn't make any indention in the soil. But evidently, this uh, whatever made these footprints had come through when it was uh, had thawed out and was uh, warmer, um, and the footprints are you know an inch or two deep down into the soil, uh, and they're they're I think they were about fourteen inches long, uh, measured with a ruler, uh, going down there, uh, you know, way back in the middle of nowhere, and just that that tightrope line of prints, not side by side, like or offset, like when humans walk. Um, And that just stuck out to me. It just uh, looked so obvious. And so, uh, so weird that I, you know, took pictures and measurements and all that uh, thinking, you know, who's, who's going to be barefoot out here walking through the woods where there's no trail. uh, And then, you know, when, you, when you're out there, you notice that all the footprints uh, from humans and then people walking their dogs and there's even some folks that uh, ride horses out there, all of those footprints and tracks that you find are right down the middle of the road. These looked purposefully and intentionally off the road in the ditch, in the bar ditch or in this, you know, small ditch along the side of the road, uh, you know most people walk down the road why was this thing or person intentionally not walking in the road uh, so I don't know that just stuck out and was was interesting to me but yeah just uh, for the middle of winter a uh, February day to find all those things uh, was really exciting and uh, so I still like to do a lot more research out there in the winter
0: yeah I I like, I like how it's in the middle of the winter, so it's very cold. You said like around 26 when you first showed up. I like that it wasn't on any of the trails or the, or the perimeter road. You've taken me to, to Stinchcomb since that happened, and not, it was my very first visit to Stinchcomb, and you introduced me. And that day that we went, we actually found a line of tracks, but it was along the perimeter road. It wasn't like what you're saying in the ditch and it wasn't following any trails like these tracks we found were along the road. And, and since then I've, I've had, I have a friend that lives around Stinchcomb and he rides bikes back in there and he has witnessed people, um, taking their shoes off and walking and getting their feet muddy, but not in the middle, middle of winter, but, uh, around, around Thanksgiving, uh, which would be a time you wouldn't think people would go barefoot either, but that that, you gotta, we got to be careful as researchers to, to watch out for that and, and uh, to, really, to really know how to study a, a track and decipher if it's human or something else. But uh, I, w- I want to go ahead and move on from, from that. But I, I love how you found those tracks at Stinchcomb on that day. And I, I like the context of it being, like you said, off the road, in the ditch, not following trails. That is intriguing. Okay, so I want to I go ahead and move on to uh, the next segment here of the show. This is one of my favorite parts. I read a random Bigfoot report to our guest, and I get the guest's reaction. So I'm going to read you a short little Bigfoot report here, if you don't mind, and just kind of get your reaction, maybe uh, what you think of it or what it makes you think of, or if you've heard a, a similar story, whatever you want to say about it, just some re- some remarks. So... This was around 2000 to 2001 and it was at Shady Lake in Athens, Arkansas. So this report comes from Arkansas, uh, not Oklahoma. And I got this report from a young lady who, she actually sent me three reports. Um, Her encounter was actually a class B encounter. Uh, The one I'm going to read to you right now is a class C. So this, for the listeners, this is a report that, she actually did not experience she got this information from someone else she's sharing someone else's story so we're kind of passing on another story and we don't have all the info and all that kind of stuff but it's interesting so she says this was about two years prior to her encounter she says i can't remember which uh it was either a camp sponsor or a ranger in the same campground that they always stay at so this camp ranger came by and warned, warned us, because a few months prior, a lady said that a bear tried to take her toddler during the night. Basically, she woke up to what she called a hand, grabbing her two-year-old son's ankle and trying to pull him out of the tent. She screamed, and whatever it was, let go and took off. She stated that it had dark brown hair and fingernails. She said that it had long fingers, so, so she wasn't sure what kind of bear it was. I never thought anything more about it until recently. So I'd like to get your reaction, Evans, to this report. And if it makes you think of any other reports, uh what what is what's your reaction?
1: But you know that the whole Ozarks area of Arkansas has historically had so many reports. Um I just think those creatures have been in those Ozarks for a long time. There's, you know, um, there's the uh, stories coming out of there uh, where they're called the Ozark howler, and just anyway, it's just so it's just a it's it's not surprising at all that there would be reports of those coming out of there, especially in uh, the rural areas and uh, around lakes and campgrounds and that sort of thing. What impressed me was the um, the eyewitness's description, you know, the lady that was camping with her uh, toddler. Her eyewitness description of the physical attributes, she mentioned that it was a hand and not a paw. You know, if it was a bear, you would expect her to... Uh, say that it was a a hairy paw with claws on it, but she actually mentioned that it was a hairy hand with long fingers and fingernails. It actually reached in and grabbed her toddler by the ankle. Uh, And so, and then she mentioned that it had dark hair instead of saying it had fur. So I think, although she probably didn't know, maybe had not even ever heard of uh, Bigfoot or, uh, you know whatever whatever they call them you know uh, there was a lot of names in these rural areas and in rural states they had their own names for these creatures uh, that uh, before anybody had ever heard the term Bigfoot uh, they called them all kinds of different things but uh, she might not have ever heard of that or been familiar with that and so didn't know uh, that a Bigfoot or whatever you know, even existed uh, but uh so that's what caused her confusion to think, you know, what kind of a bear has long arms, long fingers and fingernails. Uh, but, yeah, I would say that's a, that's a Sasquatch sighting um, just by accident. And uh, that uh, it's certainly not a surprise at all coming from from that area.
0: Yes, and that is definitely an encounter I do not want to have uh, involving me sleeping in my tent. Uh, I keep saying this over and over. If, if I get to choose my sighting, it's going to be from the safety of my car and a roadside sighting. So, um, wow, that is just amazing that she was in the tent. You know, the, the thing touched her toddler. Uh, I, I just can't imagine the uh, adrenaline rush and the, the fear going through her head and her mind. Uh, amazing story. So thank you for your reaction. Uh, I want to move on here. Uh, we had a a campout uh, just a little while back. We camped out at Hayburn Lake around April 9th to 11th. It was a, officially an NOBRO campout, but we kind of had some NCRP representation and, and some representation from the Red Dirt Cryptid Investigations team you were at the camp out, uh, just give us an update. The listeners, an update of that camp out. What, what happened? Uh, what did you notice? What, what did we de- experience? What did we, you know, what, what was your take?
1: Oh, well, I thought it was a fantastic weekend. We had a good turnout. Um, uh, the weather was a little bit crazy, uh, with those uh, severe storms that came through on Friday night. Uh, but we survived those and, uh just uh, lots of woods, creek bottoms, that sort of thing. So some great habitat. Uh, I was I was impressed with that. I was impressed with some with some of the reports before we went. The, some of the reports historically and recently that we had received, uh, even some landowners in the area that uh, had sighting reports. So we knew it was uh, uh, could be a really you know squatchy area before we went in there. I was surprised at how busy the lake was. I guess everybody's been so cooped up because of the pandemic that they were really ready to get outside, but the lake itself, the campgrounds were very busy. Uh, so we tried to get out and get away from those. I, I was really glad that you had done the research into the siding, uh, on the wildlife management area there to the South of the lake. And, uh, that we actually got to visit that site and spend a, a, a good a good part of the, a, a morning and afternoon looking in that area where there was a Class A sighting. Uh, it, you could definitely tell that there was rich habitat there, um, with uh, plenty that could support that cre- you know that type of a creature. Um, you know, we found some some evidence there, uh, possible footprints, uh, tree breaks that sort of thing Uh, and uh, then let's see the of course the when the really exciting part was to try new things and when uh, we had one of our members that had the uh, FLIR unit that he could mount on top of his vehicle and whenever we went out that night and drove those areas uh, using the FLIR on either side of the road to uh, look at the edges of the woods back in those really remote areas uh, and look in the creek bottoms and stop on the bridges and, and look. Uh, that was that was really neat. Uh, and then you all cast a possible footprint down near the lake shore uh, back in one of the coves. Uh, you know, we just, we just found a, a, I think a lot of areas that we're encouraging that we really want to go back and do some more looking, um, of course, that one scream that you and I heard about four thirty in the morning, Saturday morning, um, that couldn't have been anything else because it was one long single scream. The coyotes didn't start up, you know. It was just that, you know, all by itself, real just crystal clear. So uh, uh, then, uh, sitting around the campfire Saturday night, uh, we heard some uh, some more screams or roars, uh, yells that uh, were really interesting coming from the other side of the lake. So um, all in all, uh, I think we identified some good areas. We want to go back and look again, but uh, I thought it was very successful. There's just never enough time to get, you know, done everything that you want to do.
0: What about your audio recordings? We, we set out audio recorders. Um, I, on mine, I caught some turkeys, some coyotes, um, some, somebody driving down the road with loud bass music going. Uh, and I also got what I think was a single, Wood Knock, around. I think it was around 9 o'clock in the evening. What kind of stuff did you catch on your audio recorder?
1: Um, I, I'm, I'm just about two hours into uh, listening to the recordings. That's the thing about using an audio recorder. You know, um, lots, of, lots of folks recommend that. Uh, but then you've got you've to, somebody's got to sit down and listen to every second of all that. Uh, so it, it's very time consuming and uh, it's a real commitment if you decide to use audio recorders. If you really um, want to find evidence, uh, you've got to listen to every second. Uh, one of our uh, members of our camp out um, said he discovered that when he put the uh, recordings on to Audacity, which is a, a processing software that, um he was just looking at the peaks uh, of the uh, sound waves um and you can find good stuff looking at the peaks but then he happened to notice when he went back and listened to a portion that there was a lot of uh interesting noises that that showed up on the recording that weren't necessarily uh very high peaks uh, on the on the spectrogram so um you know things that are closer to the mic make a nice peak in the uh, spectrogram but things that are further away even though it might be an interesting noise uh, are not don't necessarily show up so much so you got to listen to all of it um so i have been I'm afraid i've been lazy and i've only listened to the first couple of hours of about uh, i think i ended up with 14 hours of audio um but um I also picked up that gobbler that was really sounding off in the woods there, which was very frustrating for me as a turkey hunter. But um, uh, then there was something walking around, sticks were popping. I mean, just even 30 minutes after we left, you could hear sticks uh, on the ground near the recorder just popping as something was walking around there. And then um, I did have a strange... Uh, vocalization on there i'm trying to figure out what it was whether it was just a, a fox in heat uh making just uh just a couple of little yips there um so i'm kind of still interested in that and going back I've, I've marked that i want to go back and hear that a lot more and get some others opinion on it um but other than that i, I don't think i found other than just a lot of a lot of uh something walking around something walking up to the recorder but doesn't mess with the recorder or walks up to that tree and then moves on so i you know we we deployed those right at sunset right at dark so it shouldn't have been a person walking around up there but uh, anyway i'm sure we'll find some more very interesting vocalizations on there
0: Yes, it was a, a great time, and I definitely want to get back soon, uh, whenever possible, and and do it all over again. Okay, uh, let's move on here. I want to hear maybe maybe uh, the strangest or weirdest Bigfoot report you have ever received or just heard of on another program or somewhere else. What's the weirdest or strangest Bigfoot report you've ever heard?
1: Oh, I know. Uh, when I was at the town hall meeting with Finding Bigfoot. Uh, and to me, that was always the most fascinating part of that program. Uh, you know, I liked the personalities of the four uh, you know, crew members there um, and got to meet Bobo. And he's just a very genuine person. He's just like he is on Tone TV, very friendly and very genuine. Um, but, the town hall meetings where these witnesses give their, uh, their encounter story. That to me is the most fascinating because that's, that's genuine. And that's the real stuff where you actually really hear, but there was a young lady, a young uh, uh, Native American lady there that was very shy, kind of reluctant to give her, but she was encouraged by some of her family to uh, go ahead and tell her story. Uh, But she was from the Concho and Concho is on the uh, Cheyenne and Arapaho um, tribal lands out uh, northwest of El Reno, Oklahoma. Um, those are tribal lands, and uh, and they have uh, a school out there. They have the tribal headquarters for Oklahoma. Uh, you know, they have all all kinds of um, uh, tribal. Uh, activities out there of course they do have a casino that's where where the famous casino footage was shot, Concho casino footage uh, back in 2010 of the uh, one at the dumpster Um, but uh, they frequently have a lot of uh, of powwows out there uh, uh, dancing competitions stuff like that And uh, they have powwows for different reasons but they had a powwow that was going on for a weekend out there and they have a powwow grounds and um, in fact, there are stories of citing reports at these powwows that th- the music, the singing uh, attracts these things from the river bottom. Uh, but uh, this young lady told the story that uh, by her family to pick up more food for the powwow because they, they feed everyone while they're out there at, at, at these events. That's just part of the culture and part of the uh, uh, common courtesy and things like that. So she you know it's like three o'clock in the morning she's headed back toward town to get on the highway and go to el reno and pick up more food she said she was driving she was only vehicle on the uh tribal road there uh and uh she was in the thick wooded part of of the area and she said she saw one of these creatures literally walking down the road Uh, but she said as she got closer Uh, She wasn't really surprised. She thought it was a person walking down the road, but as she got closer, she saw that it had long flowing hair. But she said it was very tall and very thin, and uh, it had a very sad expression on its face. And she drove right past it very slowly. She was afraid to stop, but she could see it clearly in the headlights. She drove past it, and she said it it looked like it was sick. It looked like it uh, was in bad health and very old, and she said it didn't flinch, it didn't, it just looked at her, and she said it had the saddest look on its face, she actually felt sorry for it, but she was afraid to stop, Uh, but she said it was probably over seven feet tall, but very skinny, and she said it it looked like it was malnourished or starving, and so, um, you know, then she drove on and went to town, but uh, anyway, I I thought that was one of the, the strangest stories I'd ever heard,
0: yeah yeah I've never heard that story. I'm glad you're sharing it uh It's first time i'm I'm hearing it and that's what's neat about this is you know not all the the stories on those town hall meetings make it to the cut for the television um the television program uh to be broadcast to everyone so that's kind of neat getting to hear the your memories of the stories from the town hall meeting of finding Bigfoot because not all of them make the cut. Like I said,
1: right. So. I think her, I think her story was actually on there uh, if I remember from watching really? the program. Okay. Yeah. I have to go yeah. back
0: there and, and listen again because I don't recall that one, but very cool. I um, think
1: they edit, I think they edited it pretty short, but, uh, but yeah, And what was fascinating was, uh, you know, as soon as the taping of the show was over, uh, at the town hall meeting, then, uh, Immediately, people were just gathering around all these people that had given their uh, their eyewitness testimony of their sightings, things like that. You know, and just to hear them, uh, just to ask them questions and go through it again is just just fascinating.
0: Yes, that that would have been an amazing experience. Um, so I'm I'm very happy for you that you got to go there and experience all that. Uh, we're we're running short on time here. We got a few minutes left. I want to get to a few more questions before we say our goodbyes, but uh, let's let's talk about the NCRP real quick. How does the NCRP reach out to the public? Do you hold any public events?
1: Uh, we really haven't done that. We've had events for our members, but um, but through those, uh, we have been invited uh, to speak at. Uh, uh, public libraries in the area and do some public programs like that. So that's primarily how we've handled outreach besides our Facebook page, that sort of thing.
0: And so at, at these public uh, library presentations, is this, is this uh, for all ages? Is this just for adults? Is it for kids?
1: For all ages, uh, we, we got involved in the, uh, just through uh, various contacts and through speaking at some local conferences and that sort of thing. We uh, have some contacts through the library, got in their, invited to their summer reading program. Um, and, uh, and these were primarily for kids, but it, it ended up being all all different ages. And some of the librarians in the system here, there's I think 14 public libraries in the system here in central Oklahoma, um, they actually specifically asked for a bigfoot program and uh, well you and i have done a couple of those and and it's been um, young adults and adults and even senior adults at these with uh, lots of stories and good questions and very respectful audiences so it's it's been it's been interesting to see people's reactions and uh, we've had a good time doing that
0: yes and every once in a while we can get maybe a possible lead from someone if they want to if they happen to be there and hear the program and want to share their story. And it's just a great way to um, interact with the public and let them know that we are, we are there. (laughs) Um, Okay. Right quick. um, I know that, that uh, you're always researching and, and wanting to uh, better yourself and and learn more things. (laughs) Do you have any recommendations like a random strategy or tips to help someone else starting out, Researching Bigfoot out in the field, maybe a free tip that you learned from this audio recording seminar you were just a part of uh, just a while back, a few days ago?
1: Well, I noticed on that seminar, you know, these were professional biologists. They're using equipment that's, you know, very valuable, expensive equipment, thousands of dollars. Um, but one of the professors on there, they were, they were actually studying uh, birds. Um, and trying to gain uh, knowledge of uh, bird populations in certain areas. They were using uh, an array of recorders and of at least three recorders. They were actually able to triangulate the location of where a bird call was coming from by using multiple recorders that were tied together. Of course, you know, that requires a lot of electronics and he even has a software that would do this, and boy, I was just thinking, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be fantastic to be able to have, you know, three recorders set out in an area, and then when we have something like a scream or other kind of vocalization, to be able to um, use those recorders and be able to triangulate exactly on a gps where that scream originated from then you would know exactly where that creature was that made that sound and you could maybe begin to uh, figure out a pattern of you know what areas they're using and where where their home areas are and that sort of thing but um, i'm afraid it would require a lot more uh, expensive equipment than what we've got right now and learning how to use that software
0: Wow. Well, that, that is a fascinating idea that you're bringing up. Uh, We're going to have to, we're going to have to look into that more uh, for the future. Definitely. uh, Maybe, maybe try something like that. Uh, All right. Well, we're moving into final thoughts here. I want to give you a chance to plug the NCRP, uh, how to contact you. If someone wants to reach out and report something around central Oklahoma, Uh, how, how do we reach you? Plug your NCRP pages. Go, go for it.
1: Right. Probably through the Facebook page is the is the easiest way. But also, as far as if they have a sighting report, uh, the best place to go is to the NOBRO website uh, where uh, you actually have a form on there that they can uh, fill out and uh, submit. And if they uh, feel comfortable with it, they can talk to a researcher about it or even uh, have someone come out and look at an area for them that sort of thing. So I would, I would uh, suggest as far as sightings that they use the Nobro website because that covers all of Oklahoma.
0: Very good. And that web address is n-o-b-r-o bigfoot.org. Well, thank you Evans for coming on today and taking the time to talk some Bigfoot topics. I love it. It was a lot of fun. I, I love hearing your, your experiences and your expertise. And thanks for coming on the show today.
1: You're welcome. I appreciate the invitation.
0: Thank you for joining in. And don't forget, uh, there will be another Squatch Ranger Files episode 50. So be on the lookout for that. You can go to YouTube, find Squatch Ranger. You can go on Facebook, find the Squatch Ranger. And I would love for you to uh, join our show. All right. Thank you and see you later, everybody.